0: Well good morning everybody, it's good to be with you again. Um, I was going today to speak on uh, Daniel 5, the Feast of Belshazzar, but my brain is completely captured uh, in another line of thinking because uh, I've been ordered by Ken Ham to write a book and uh, so I have to write a book. And the book I'm writing, uh, it relates to a lot of the work we're going to be doing uh, and it is a book on um, biblical identity. Uh, And when I say that phrase, I know that there are certain generations for whom that sounds like a whole lot of mumbo-jumbo, but it really is the topic of the moment for other generations who are being led astray in a big way with bad answers on that issue, uh, and therefore are suffering in very serious ways uh, without the truth of who am I, what is a human person, what am I made to be like? What is our constitution as man and woman? Uh, And so I'm going to speak to just some of the basic points about that subject. You'll have to wait for the book for the chapters and chapters of detail. But I want to start by making this observation. That phrase or that question, who am I, which is the question on the lips of a generation, Um, A historian I know pointed out that once upon a time it was an incomprehensible question because you never got to ask it. Who you were was set by how you were born, who you were born to, what your job was, and all those sorts of things. But now we can ask the question in the modern world. But that question, who am I, threatens to immediately lead us astray. Because when you say, who am I, you immediately are inclined to answer the question by looking within, Uh, Today we self-identify. Today we define our own sense of who we are, what we are. Uh, I ran through some of this uh, with the kids on Friday night and uh, some of them are just in high school and I put up identity on the board and I said, who's heard this word? Oh yeah, we've heard that word. I said, well, what have you heard from school about what it means? And of course, Every, nearly everything that came out of their uh, mouth started with the prefix self. Oh, your sense of self, your self-identification, your feelings about yourself, uh, your desires, your passions, your and so we wrote this list. And all of the answers were answers that were based upon a look within. Now, that is a fundamental error to start understanding anything in that way. We are lost in a world of psychology these days. Uh, We are lost in a world of self-definition. But the Bible sets the frame for the consideration of all things with its opening words, in the beginning God. That's how scripture considers all reality. That's the prefix that scripture puts on all reality. Um, And therefore, whenever we approach a question including what is man. We must answer that question from God's perspective and look to what He has to say about it. Uh, That is why in Proverbs 9 and 10, you get that statement, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's just a statement of reality. If you are fearing God, then you are looking to Him in all things and you are seeking His perspective on a thing. You're seeking the revelation on how he has ordered a thing and how he has created a thing and therefore you'll be wise because you'll know the truth about it and therefore how to live. And it's the same here. God has made everything. God has ordered everything and God continues to order and continues to sustain everything. So we need to go to him. We need to say in the beginning, God. We want to understand the truth about something. We have to go to what he, uh, we have to lift our eyes higher. We need to look to God. Um, Now, the answer comes to us in Scripture in several pieces. It's not immediately straightforward, it's not that simplistic. It comes in a few parts. And so, what we have to do is gather the pieces together, and having gathered them together, construct the whole picture. Um, And in some ways, that actually encompasses the whole scope of Scripture from the beginning to the end. And here is the first piece. It's a piece that we're all very familiar with and it's Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 um, and you can turn to these scriptures as we go through if you like um, and we'll just unpack each piece in turn. Genesis one twenty-six says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. So straight away you've got to the point where you're looking to God to say, well, what is his order for this thing? Well, here we go. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. There's actually three pieces in that, but I'm going to point out this one, which is the most obvious. The first piece, God made mankind in his own image. Now a question arises, and it's a question that not many people ask, funnily. I have another friend who does a lot of teaching um, at universities, he's a very smart guy, and whenever someone answers a question, they will often smuggle into their answer a word or a phrase that they haven't actually thought about. Like he say, you know, why should, we, uh, why should we allow people to say things that are disagreeable? And someone will say, it's a human right. And he'll go, what do you mean by human rights? And they'll go, ah, 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 and they'll struggle to answer the question. And he'll just keep doing it until they're left realising that they don't know. Uh, it's a very interesting tactic. He did it to me a lot a few years ago when he was teaching me something. And it made me realise we say a lot of things we don't consider their meaning. And one of them is image of God. What actually is the image of God. Good question. Uh, It's not a a well-considered phrase. Well, it is in history, but it's something that we don't consider enough these days. Now, to explain it, um, a few years ago, a couple of years ago, a very talented supporter uh, mailed me a portrait she had painted. And it was a portrait of me. And she didn't sit for anything, she painted it based on photographs. And this portrait arrived in the mail, and I remember opening it up and thinking, goodness me, someone's, someone's painted me. But actually, it was very good. It was a very, very good painting. She'd done a great job. She was clearly extremely talented. But I had a conundrum. I thought, well, it's not the sort of thing you can throw out. It's taken a lot of work. But obviously, I'm not going to put a picture of myself on my wall, uh, you, you, could, you could rightly start to worry about me if I did that. Um, and so I thought, what do I do? Well, so I gave it to mum. And it, <laughs> it does hang on a wall, but it's not my wall. <laughs> and when I was going through some of this subject matter with the kids, I just pointed it out. I just said, see that picture, of, see that painting on the wall over there? And before the words were out of my mouth, they all said, that's you! And it's interesting because they were right and wrong at the same time. I was standing in front of them, that wasn't me. But it was my image. It was a representation of me. It was my likeness. That painter had captured something intrinsic to me, so intrinsic that when it was copied, you could see me in it. And people who look at it and go, "Ah, oh, that's Martin, they can see me in that picture. And that's what it means to image God. It means that there is something so intrinsic to what God is like that is in these creatures that when people look at them or when they are looked upon, you can say, ah, I see God here. I see something of God represented in this creation. Um, So, to put it another way, man and woman were made to put God on display by representing something essential to who he is, to his nature. Now, you say, well, what exactly is it that we're supposed to, we were supposed to represent uh, that put him on display? And the answer comes, uh, I think, in two scriptures in the New Testament, which are actually talking about something slightly different. But they give us the clue. Uh, one is Colossians chapter three verse ten and the other is ephesians four twenty two You can turn there or not up to you, but I just want to refer to them and you'll see in both of those sections a discussion of something else it 's a discussion of this uh, concept the new man, as the apostle Paul describes it there's the old man which is sinful, and there's the new man which is, uh, which, which is what we are being transformed into uh, in salvation. And when he talks about this new man, he points out what it is like. And he says in Colossians 3.10, put on the new self, or the new man, so new self in the... Uh, i am still got a lot of King James in my head, so the newer translations will say new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. So what he's saying is that this new self that you're to put on, that you're to be transformed into, actually is according to the image of God, according to the image of the creator, the one who created it. That's interesting. So you go, okay, so this new self that we are to put on, it is likened to God's image. And then in Ephesians 4.22, you get the other side of the puzzle. It says, in reference to your former way of life, you are to rid yourself of the old self, which has been corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, which in the likeness of God, there's that language again, In the likeness of God, and before we saw the image of the Creator, in the likeness of God has been created in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, the thing that the Apostle Paul wants to point out about this likeness of God, this image of the Creator, is that its essential feature is this, true righteousness and holiness. That's the biblical answer to the question. What is the image of God? What does it mean that mankind was made in God's image? Mankind was made good. Mankind was made holy. Mankind was made righteous. To put that moral excellency of God on display in a way that nothing else in creation could ever do, in a way that no animal, no plant, no star could ever do. Those things can tell us something about God, but they don't tell us of the beauty of his holiness and his righteousness. And that is the central point of the answer to this question. I mean, a lot of people, uh, if you've ever heard teaching on this subject, you may have heard people speculate a little bit and talk about a whole range of other things that might be part of the image of God. Like, for example, they say, well, we've got a rational intellect in a way that uh, other creatures don't, and there's a rationality about God. They might say that, uh, well, uh, also we've got these sort of creative abilities in a way that's uh, 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 much higher than the other species and which is uh, reflective of God. We can relate to people. We're, We're relational beings just as God is and so on. Now look, that's at the end of the day quite speculative. Certainly, that speaks to the uniqueness of human beings. But to the extent that that is true, those are simply um, means to the end. In other words, those are simply the means by which we express God's holiness and God's righteousness. So, why why can we think? Why can we do? Why can we create? Why can we behave certain ways? in order to demonstrate and set forth the excellencies of God's righteousness and God's holiness, God's goodness. So they're not the final point. The final point is righteousness and holiness. Now, in the Bible, you will often see discussions uh, of of, of glory. You'll see that word come up. Uh, Glory really is um, the setting forth of what God is like. The expression of what God is like. And for example, it'll say the heavens declare the glory of God. Well, in what way? Well, they tell us something about what he's like. How? Well, they tell us of his infinite power. Uh, They tell us of his incredible creation. They tell us of his infinity because they go on and on and on and we can't see the end of them. Um, And so on. We see something of God set forth in creation. Uh, It's the same uh, in the fact that God's light is often described uh, God's uh, glory is often described as light. And that light really is a shining out of God's perfections. And that's glory. But of course, most importantly, you see that Jesus is described as God's glory. Because we saw uh, his glory, glory as the only begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Because of what he was like, who he was, he was setting forth something of who God was. Um, and uh, it's the same when Moses says to God, Show me your glory. And God says, Well, you can't see me and live. But he says, I will let all my goodness pass before you. and I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. In other words, I'll show you what I'm like. That's my glory. And so man and woman were made to glorify God. To show people what he was like in his moral excellencies, his righteousness, his character. Now, that's the first piece of the puzzle. And I want you to notice something just important. I'll come back to this. But notice that this is an ideal. This is what we were made to be. It's not quite the same as saying it's what we are. We're going to find out in a minute that that's no longer quite true of the human race. And so when we think about the image of God, we've got to be very careful about how, how much we use it as a complement of ourselves. Because the fact is we're not imaging God in the way that we're supposed to today. Because we are not living up to... Because everything before the fall is God's ideals, God's very good, and it's all been spoiled, it's all been damaged. So just bear that in mind. That's the first piece of the puzzle, made in the image and likeness of God. Here's the second piece of the puzzle, and it's Genesis chapter 2. And this is a piece of the puzzle that's uh, often overlooked. It's very like us to overlook this, because this is a less complimentary piece of the puzzle. Um, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says, then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. So here's the second piece of the puzzle. The first piece is made in the image and likeness of God. The second piece of the puzzle is made from the dust of the ground, which is a lot more humbling. That means we are creatures... We are the stuff of creation. We are not gods. We are not the creator. We put God's moral excellence on display, yes. So the theologians will talk about the communicable attributes of God. His righteousness, his love, his grace, his mercy. Those are all things which we were made to put on display. But of course there's parts of God that we can't put on display in the same way. We can't put on display his omnipotence. ...because we're not omnipotent. We could never put on display his omniscience... ...because we were never omniscient. We could never put on display his infinity... ...because we were always finite. And so on. Because those things belong to God the creator. The creature. Those things do not belong to the creature. They do not belong to those who are... ...of the dust. But it doesn't stop us from trying... ...to be as gods. And this is one of the great sins of the human race. We try... We try to climb out of our box, Uh, we try to get too big for our boots and we try to take on God's jobs, we try to take on God's responsibilities. Um, In fact I would say that culturally that's one of the greatest sins of our day, Uh, something I've often expressed this way, we are trying to define what God has already defined. We are saying we are the creators now. Uh, We are saying right down to the level of, not only can I self-identify, not only can I self-define, not only can I say that my identity is who and what I want to be and who and what I say I will be and it changes from day to day as I change, but the things that God has set out in creation, like male and female, we can redefine it. We can define what God has defined. Like the whole question of human sexuality, we can redefine it. We can define what God has already defined. Marriage, we have redefined it. But God, defi- I mean, actually, the, the debate, the whole same-sex marriage debate, the, the first answer to that was, "But well, we don't have the authority to define marriage. God defined it. He made it. End of story. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You go to him, you find the wisdom. You go outside of that, you don't have wisdom. Um, and it's even the case, and over in America, you see this so much, that the whole notion of different races is now uh, being perverted and twisted. Uh, to try and claim and teach that uh, there is such limited shared humanity between people of different races that we that we can only oppress each other and we can never stop well that's a lie from hell it's a lie because human beings are all made from ultimately one race we are the same human race we're not our shared humanity is not so divided that we can only oppress each other we are all one in Christ Jesus so And so it goes on. You find over and over again that people are getting too big for their boots and seeking to define what God has already defined really is a cultural trend of our day. Something else you will see is this. Um, a little while ago, I did a, a video about uh, a spate of um, high-profile, what they call, deconverters, or people who deconstruct their faith. So people who were uh, fairly prominent in the Christian world who one day come out and say, well, actually... I'm leaving the faith, I'm not a Christian. And then they will usually do a podcast or some kind of TV interview explaining why they are no longer a Christian. And a whole bunch of these came out. A lot of them were worship leaders and there were some high-profile podcasters and this. And so I got a researcher to put together some briefs for me uh, to take their own words uh, and copy them out uh, and get the main points from each and send them over so I could have a look at what's going on. It was interesting, I read the first one and I thought, hmm, okay, that's their reasons. I turned the page, I read the second one, I thought, oh, that's interesting, same reasons. I read the third one, I thought, oh, that's interesting, same reasons. Fourth one, same reasons. And it was like it was the same person over and over and over and over again. And that was instructive because the reasons they gave, there was some variation, But at the core, if I could could capture a phrase that came up in every single one, it was this. If I was God, if I was God, I wouldn't allow children to die. If I was God, David Attenborough says this, I wouldn't allow parasites to make people blind. If I was God, there wouldn't be any cancer. If I was God... I would show up and reveal myself to people right here, right now. Why doesn't he? And because of their frustration with the way God is, they said, I don't want to believe in this God anymore. You know what? I'm glad I'm not God. Can you imagine if you were made God for one millisecond? I'll tell you what would happen every atom in the universe would collapse, it would be gone. Uh, you and I don't have the wisdom, the knowledge, the infinity, the omnipotence to know what it takes to run a universe. Nor do we know what it takes to bring all things to a perfect end, as God will do by some miracle I don't and will never understand. The Apostle Paul says, um, You know, his ways are past finding out. How unsearchable are his judgments? Who's known the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? That's the situation we're in. It's interesting, you know, when Jesus was on the cross. What did the people say? If you're the son of God, come down. If we were God, if we were the son of God, we wouldn't be doing this. Get off the cross. Well, I'm glad they're not God. Otherwise, there'd be no cross. There'd be no salvation. How foolish are we to even think in those terms? What's wrong? We have forgotten that we are made of dust. We're creatures. We are not creators. And the very thought that we could ever rise to the heights of the omnipotent almighty God is an outrage and it is completely outside of our station but of course we see it in the identity issue we self-identify we make up our own and again we're starting with ourselves we're not starting with us as God made us we're forgetting that we are made of the dust so we must never forget this dual reality one we were made for glory right because if we forget that we will live as animals. And there's a lot of that going on today. People who are content to live by their instincts, by their passions, by their desires, just as the animals live, because they have forgotten that they were made for glory. But secondly, we must not forget that we were made from dust. Because if we forget that we were made from dust, we will seek to be as gods. And my goodness, that is a Pandora's box box of pain and sorrow that will come from us getting beyond our station. So we were made for glory, we were made from dust. Dual realities. Now, time is against me, so I'm going to have to work out how to close this off. Uh, There is a third piece, which I won't go into, I was never going to go into today, but you'll note there that male and female is a part of this question, which is defined by God. And there's more in that male and female than a mere biological statement. Uh, It goes further than that. It goes right into a statement of purpose for man and woman, according to God's will and God's design. There's also the issue of dominion, to have dominion over the earth. Again, something that's spoiled. Hebrews says we do not now see all things put under man as it was meant to be. But that's another part of the question. I won't go into that either because I think we've dealt with the main ones. But I want to revisit this point. Things have changed, right? These pre-fall ideals... Don't fully describe present realities. Things have changed because we are at war with our nature as dust. And really that was the first sin. Adam and Eve decided to subject God's word to their critique. And the temptation was uh, to be made wise to be as gods, knowing good and evil. Uh, So they were at war with their dust, just as we are today. And also we're at war with our purpose as male and female. That's a big one. But also we are openly rejecting the glory that God called us to, righteousness and holiness. We're openly rejecting that. In fact, this is what Jesus said. I said, you know, this who am I question causes us to look inside, go within. Well, okay, Jesus says, if you want to do that, if you want to go within, if you want to look into your heart and you want to self-identify, truthfully, this is what you will find. Mark chapter 7, verse 18, 19, it says... uh, No, verse 20. He says what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within. And they defile a person. It's an extraordinary... Um, you know, there's an exercise, there's this program which I've mentioned before called the Good Society, which they roll out in some state schools. And in Year 5, you're supposed to do this exercise called the Identity Poster. Uh, and uh, in the Identity Poster, you're supposed to, you know, put up all these attributes and qualities about who you think you are uh, and, uh, you know, who you want to be and what your feelings are and all the rest of it. And, of course, one of the things the teacher is supposed to do is say, well... You know, there's no wrong answers. You can, you can say whatever you want about yourself. It's all up to you. And I often, I quipped once that, you know, I think this would be a wrong answer. If you put Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 20, on your poster, I, I think maybe the teacher would have a problem with that. Why? Because our world hates this truth. We've built a whole cultural edifice around the denial of this truth, that these things come from the heart of man. They come from me, from myself, And all the things that I might write on that poster. The world hates it. Because the world will deny and is denying our own sinfulness. And therefore we are living in a world right now that hates the gospel. It hates it. It has to hate it. Because the first claim of the gospel is that you're a sinner. What the Lord said here is the first claim of the gospel about you. Who you really are. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you know something about the Lord Jesus Christ? He died on a cross. Well, that was horrible. Well, hang on. That cross is a monument to just how bad your identity really was. The world hates that message. Hates it. But that is why, in today's world, we need to be the people who proclaim that message. Because nobody else will. And that is the truth of the human race in its present condition. I mean, what has gone wrong uh, is, and we can turn to this because most of you are probably still in Genesis... What has gone wrong is signalled in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 and 3. And this is a, a thing that is picked up in the New Testament, especially in Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 15. The change is this, and just notice this, this is such an important verse, which, uh, you, you know, you say Genesis 5 and people say, well, what's in Genesis 5? Uh, this is really important. It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam on the day when God created man, he made him in the image and likeness of God. He made them male and female and he blessed them and named them mankind on the day when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness according to his image and named Seth. Isn't that interesting? It's like the scripture is saying, on the day when man was created, we know this is what happened. He was made in the image and likeness of God. Ah, now Adam is having a son in the image and likeness of God? No. In his own image and his own likeness. In other words, Adam's sons, Adam's daughters, have Adam's image. Now that is a teaching that is carried right through Scripture. Um, And so the question, really, that comes up is, well, what happened to the image of God? Is it irrelevant? I don't think it's irrelevant, but it's important to notice this. Adam's image is a gravely defaced image of God it's a gravely twisted and contorted image of God and it is so gravely twisted and we learn this from Romans 5 where it says as one man as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin and so death spread to all mankind because all sinned in other words what is Adam's image how is it different it's got two things that were never in the image of God sin and death they were not there Now they are. That's a pretty radical deforming of the holiness and righteousness of God's image. Um, And so therefore, if two things are present that were not there before, sin and death, um, then what's missing? Well, true righteousness and holiness are actually missing. Now we spend our lives going after, you know, trying to attain goodness. And every religion of the world aside from Christianity is a works-based attainment of goodness religion but we're never going to get there fully and completely as we were because true righteousness and holiness is lost. It is lost. Um, scripture says there is none righteous, no, not one. Um, one of the illustrations I have used is the illustration of a castle ruin. Um, and you can go to these castle ruins in Europe. These, some of them are a thousand years old. And you'll go there and sometimes there'll be a sketch on the placard at the front which shows you what the castle once looked like. And it's a very grand and incredible thing. And sometimes it might even tell you the story of who once lived there. You know, King so-and-so, King Henry or whatever once lived in this building. And you think, wow, that's amazing. But you look at it and you think, well, is that a castle? Not really. It's a ruin of a castle. Um, it's lost the glory that it once had and as the presence of a certain kind of decay is there that was never there before. And it's a little bit like you could take one of those plaques and you could put it on a human being and you could say, God once lived here, but now we're a ruin of what we were. That is Adam's image. And scripture rounds this whole discussion out with this great answer to, well, how can we recover what was lost? How can we? We're in Adam, not in, not, not in God's image anymore. When I was doing some reading on this, I realised from the New Testament that the phrase image of God is fairly prevalent in the Bible. But more often than not in the New Testament, it does not refer to you or me. In Colossians 1.15, it says, Christ is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In Hebrews 1 and 3, it says, He is the brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See that? I just searched, image of God likeness of God and Bible gateway and the light went on I thought well hang on a second how foolish have we been to think of ourselves when we hear that phrase to think of mankind when we hear that phrase surely the right and proper thing to do when we hear that phrase is to think of the Lord Jesus he is the image of God in human flesh once again and we know that from the very beginning when the angel spoke to Mary that holy thing which shall be born of you will be called son of God holiness. And it says in Hebrews 1 and 9, you have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. He is righteous and he is holy. But importantly he held that righteousness and holiness, that glory of God in his true righteousness and true holiness in, if I may speak carefully, the dust of human flesh. Just just like The image of God was meant to be all along. Dust and glory come together in the Lord Jesus once again. And in him alone is the image that was lost, recovered. And it is therefore to him alone that we must go in order to become again what we are not because of the fall. But of course to become again with so much more because you have all the glories of the workings and, and wonders of what Christ has done. Uh, you have been saved from sin. There's something greater and more glorious about what we find in Christ than what we find in Adam. Let me make two points uh, to close. Just present implications of this. Um, the reality is we are biolog- biologically linked to Adam. There is actually a genetic connection with Adam. goes back far enough, that's where you end up. Um... But in salvation, the scriptures teach that there is just as real a connection forged between you and the Lord Jesus Christ. It isn't a biological connection. It's a spiritual connection. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you, to make his home in you, and to declare the things of Christ to you, says the Lord in John's Gospel. And that connection to the Lord Jesus, the recovery of what we lost, is very real, just as real as the biology that you share with Adam himself. And as a result of that, there are two changes in your life. And the first one is, because of the presence of Christ in you, there will be a certain change of constitution immediately. And that change is captured in that verse, which I read deliberately, Hebrews 1 and 9. You have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. That's the change that takes place in the heart now. You're not perfectly righteous and holy today ah but something has changed and the desire of christ is the desire that is in your heart those of you who remember peter brandon um he told a story once where he had a man come up to him greatly troubled and he said to him look he said i'm struggling with a particular sin and he said i just can't get through it and every time i think it's gone it comes back and then i think it's gone and it comes back and he said, he was greatly distressed and he said to Mr. Brandon, he said, he said, I just don't think I'm saved. And Peter Brandon said, well, you tell me. He said, how do you feel about this sin? How do you feel about it? And he said, he clenched his fist so tight that his knuckles went white. And he said, I hate it!" Like this. And Peter Brandon said, oh, he says, praise God, I believe you're saved. Um, and, you know, there's a great truth in that. Because the struggle is on and the desire is there. And that desire, in a way, is the guarantee that the change will come. And so we ask ourselves, what do we love? What do we hate? And thus, in that desire, we will see the fruits of a transformation take place. And I read that scripture before about Christ being the image of God. It then goes on to say, we are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another, And this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. So it comes from the Lord Jesus through the Spirit of God within us. And that desire brings that incremental... There's a great... I heard a Scottish preacher saying once, he went to America, and he said, for some reason, there's a sign that he saw in America often. Uh, Whenever there was reconstruction taking place or renovations, um, it said there was a sign saying, please be patient with us, we are under reconstruction. He said he wished he could pick up that sign and stick it on the forehead of every Christian so that when they come to church, we can see each other. Please be patient with us. We are under reconstruction. That's the process taking place from one degree of glory into another. And the final one of these two closing points, I often have a lot of closing points, but this actually is the closing point. Um, There is uh, not just a change of constitution, but there is a change of final destiny. Uh, and the change of final destiny is First John chapter 3, uh, verses 2 and 3. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. In other words, the final destiny is that you're going to be like him. His image, fully perfected in you. It's very important that we never forget the destination, that we never lose sight of where we're going. You know, if you run a race, or if an athlete runs a race, they never lose sight of the destination. Their eye is fixed on the finish line. And thus, in fixing their eye on the finish line, every calculation, every movement, every step of that race is calibrated to advance them towards their destination. Most exactly. When you seek an occupation, you don't lose sight of the qualification that you need. And your time, so much of your time, your energy, your discipline, your priorities, are calculated, calibrated, completely towards that qualification. If you know where you are going then you know how to calibrate each step, where to focus your discipline, how to prioritise, what to say yes to, and what to say no to. And your destination is to be as Christ is. And what are you calibrating about your day-to-day, your every decision, your every step? Well, John says so. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. True righteousness true holiness, from one degree of glory into another, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And that's the question, how are we calibrating every decision every step? Never lose sight of the destination. It's a great secret to the Christian life because the goal is to be as Christ is. Um, I asked the question right at the beginning, who am I? Um The answer to that question is no. Um, There's a story of Joshua on the battlefield and he encounters the angel of the Lord. He says, are you with us or are you with our enemies? And the angel of the Lord says no. (laughs) In other words, he's saying, "Eh, that's not the point, It's the wrong question. I'll tell you the answer to the question you should have asked. And it's the same here. It's the wrong question. Actually, what we need to be doing and what all of us need to be doing is saying... Who is God? Because we're made to bear his image. And when we see God in the face of Jesus Christ, everything else is going to start to fall into place. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give thanks for the Lord Jesus. We give thanks that he is the true image of the invisible God. Father, we give thanks that he is the exact expression of your glory. He is the true imprint of your nature. And Father, we give thanks for his glory. We give thanks for his righteousness. We give thanks for his holiness. And Father, it is our prayer that you would help us to calibrate every step by the power of your spirit that is within us to conform us from one degree of glory into another, into his image. Lord, purify us, we pray. Help us to seek all that is right and true and good in him, we pray. And Lord, we ask that this would be the transforming effect on our lives and all that we do in this present world. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.